Hi everyone, have you enjoyed the service so far? I hope you have. You know, I spoke to a number of people this week and uh, as I spoke to people, I guess a number of emotions and feelings arose. But one was this sense of loss. And uh, I think, I wonder if you're feeling that as well, this sense of missing out. Uh, there's a genuine grief even that many of us are feeling. Just a community thing, we're unable to meet together. When I'm unable to meet up with schoolmates or, or workmates or uh, sporting teams, go out to dinner. There's this real genuine sense of loss. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling that at the moment. But for many people I spoke to, we, we, we all share this, this sense of grief or loss that we were unable to meet together as God's people. And we miss that. I physically come together uh, as God's people, as God's church. Because no matter how uh, helpful we find this, this business, and, and thanks, I'm, I'm really pleased that many of you are finding it helpful, and, and thanks to those who have given me some feedback too. No matter how helpful we find this, it's not the same, is it? And so we grieve for what we once had. Uh, we grieve for, we, we miss our community, we miss relationships, we miss the commitment and accountability that we have to each other. I think it's good for us to acknowledge that. Just before we get cracking on this next Jesus is uh, topic, I think it's good for us to acknowledge that, to pray about it and, um, and to talk about it. So you might want to do that tonight, just as a family, uh, maybe with some friends over the phone later on. But we're still God's church. We're still God's church. It's just a bit different at the moment, isn't it? It's just a bit different. We still have community. It's just different. We, we still have relationships. It's just different. Although a lot of our relationships are to do with screens. We've never been on screens so much before. We can still commit to church. It just is a bit different. Anyway, how about I pray and ask God to help us with that and, uh, and to give us the comfort that we need in this um, slightly difficult time. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us and we thank you, Lord, for your church. We uh, thank you for relationships. We thank you that we can be connected to one another even though it's a bit tricky over uh, online means. And uh, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to get the most out of your word, even though it's a little bit tricky concentrating and all that. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us and help us understand a bit more about Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, you'll see it up on the screen in a moment. Here's a quote from one of Australia's most well-known and uh, uh, well, well-known commentators, sporting commentators and journalists. This guy said, and I won't give you his name, I don't want to get in trouble. He said, ah, Christianity, just another religion about a fairy god in the sky. He's an outspoken critic of Christians and especially Christian sports men and women who give thanks to God at the end of an event or something like that. Uh, because um, oh, well, they're thanking God for their gifts that he's given them. But it's not an uncommon view about Jesus, is it? You might have heard it before. Jesus is just an invisible sky fairy. Uh, he's a bit like the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy or something like that. Just our imagination at work. It's a good story for kids, a good story for the gullible. I wonder if you've ever thought that about Jesus. And maybe you do today. Maybe you've got this link from someone, a friend has emailed it to you, and you said, oh, okay, I'll click on the link, and here I am, I'm following the sermon along. Uh, if that's you, I really 
it's great you're here. It's fantastic. I'm really, really pleased. And you're very welcome. Um, I'm hoping you'll continue listening on for the next few minutes. But here's the big claim of Christianity. That God is not a figment of our imagination. That he's not some fairy god in the sky. And he's not just a nice story for kids. The Bible makes this extraordinary claim that God actually came to earth, lived as a human, died, and then came back to life. In Jesus Christ, God has revealed himself to us. Now, that's the first thing I want us to see today. We'll come back to it in a moment. The second thing that I want us to see is that not only has God revealed himself in his son, Jesus, but history has revealed Jesus. Jesus is no fairy tale. And third then, what does this say about our relationship with God? How do we relate to God? What does it say about God's love for us and his care for us? So let's get into that first point first of all. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Now if you're a Robbo local, uh, or really borrowing anywhere in the Southern Highlands, you would have come past this particular sign. Uh, I've got it up on the screen in, in a moment. I'm probably, hopefully it's there now. And uh, you would have come across this great sign. Um, the, it's, a, it's a signpost as you come into Robbo's. For me, it's the, ah, I'm home sign. It tells you some important things about Robertson. I wonder if you can see them there. Actually, right now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pause the video or anything like that. I'm just going to stand here. Shout out some of those things that you see in this sign. Shout out what this sign tells you about Robertson. Do it right now. Did I give you enough time? One more? I got three, maybe four. You see, it's the, Robbo's the green heart of the Highlands. Something we boast about, isn't it? Yes. If you're listening in from other parts than the Highlands, know that you're not the green heart of the Highlands. There's... Um, there's a website you could go to as well. And it also, the sign also tells us about uh, the elevation and population of Robertson. I think the population looks a bit off to me. I think we're a bit bigger than that these days. In fact, the sign's a little bit dodgy. I think if, it, if you leaned against it, it'll probably fall over. But look, this is what signposts do. Signposts, they tell us something. They help us to get to know the real thing, don't they? And they, they point us to the real thing in case this, in, in this case, it's Robertson, the town. In a sense, that's what Jesus is with God. Jesus is God's signpost. Jesus points us to God. But because Jesus is God's son, he's more than a signpost. He is God himself, God come to us. Now, that's what John, the, the, uh, the apostle of Jesus, uh, disciple who writes the gospel of John, he was an eyewitness to Jesus, that's what he writes in his biography of, of Jesus in uh, John chapter 1. We had it read to us earlier on. Lacey read it to us and she did such a wonderful job. So John chapter 1 verse 14, if you've got your Bibles, get it open in front of you. John 1 verse 14 says the word, now that, that's a reference to Jesus. Verse 1 tells us that. The word became flesh like you and I and made his dwelling among us. He came to us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, because John's an eyewitness, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, skip down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You see what John says? 
God has made himself known through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. God has come to us. Now, if you pause for a moment and just think how extraordinary that is. The creator of all things has come to us and revealed himself to us, shown us himself so we can know him. Now, that's very different to any other religious thought or spirituality, don't you think? See, any other religion, well, you've got to come to God. You've got to to find him, impress him. Remember the Pharisee from last week in Luke 18. The Pharisee comes up to the temple and and he thanks God that he's not like anyone else. And then he lists off all these attributes that, he's, well, that he wants to impress God with. He thinks he can be accepted by God by his religious works. But Jesus says, well, he goes away distant from God. Uh, sad. Worldly spirituality says you've got to climb the ladder to find God. You know, you're climbing away, you're climbing away. And when you finally get to the top, you think you're going to get there. Look, oh, I still can't find God. So I've got to keep climbing. I've got to, I've got to impress God. I've got to do more. I've got to find him wherever he might be. It's as if, as if God is somehow hiding from us. But it's the, the truth is it's the complete opposite. God has come down to us. So God has, in a sense, come down the ladder to us. God reveals himself to us in Jesus. Now, why did he do that? Why? Well... We'll get to it in a moment. What, what purpose has Jesus come to us? The Bible says he has come to us for us. So if you've got your Bible still open in front of you, uh, it's probably the next page, but John chapter 1, verse 29. Now, I do love this scene because here's, here's John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is the, is the wild man of the New Testament apostles or uh, prophets. He's, he actually he, he, he falls in the category, really, of the style of the Old Testament prophet. So he comes out of the wilderness. He's got camel's hair, his clothing of camel's hair. He eats wild locusts and, and honey, and, and he's uh, straight to the point. He's a bit of a wild man. Anyway, he, he looks and sees Jesus coming from a distance. And I, I guess he points at him. He points, look over there, look, look, look. Look at verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. He's coming toward us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that term lamb is in reference to Jesus being a sacrifice. John's Gospel later explains that this is Jesus' death for our sin, our rejection of God. That's what sin is. And so that's why Jesus came. There it is in verse 29, to take away the sin of the world. Not to be served as a high and mighty king, but to serve and then give his life. A sacrifice. And he did this because he loves us. Simple as that. Jesus says all we need to do, all we need to do is to receive this forgiveness of sin, this taking away of our sin, is to believe in him, is to trust him. That's it. Nothing more. So God reveals himself to us in Jesus and for us in Jesus. It's a big claim, isn't it? It's a big claim. Can it be backed up by historical record? That's what I want to know. I don't know about you. Or is Jesus just another religion about a fairy god in the sky? History is very clear. I want to give you a quick taste of what history tells us about Jesus. 
But before I show you some non-Christian evidence for Jesus, let's also be very clear the Bible writers were just as much concerned about truth as anyone else. Perhaps even more so because many of those Bible writers died for what they wrote and believed in. See, you don't die for a lie. You don't die for a fairy tale unless you're completely deluded, but there's very little evidence for that. So let's take Luke, for example. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Now, we know Luke's a well-educated man who was probably a, a physician, a doctor. He writes in his biography of Jesus about the need for certainty and knowing for sure what happened with Jesus. So if you've got Luke 1, 1 to 4 open in front of you, uh, have a look at that. This is the one that Adele read before. I want you to, in, in just a second, I want you to pause the video and I want you, as whoever you're with at the moment, it might be on your own as well, but just pause for a moment and look back at chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 and, and talk amongst yourselves about why does Luke write this gospel? Why does he write this gospel? See what you can see. Okay, welcome back. Uh, how'd you go? How'd you go? Truth and certainty are his reasons for writing. It's interesting too how doubt is something that Christians from all ages wrestle with. Do you notice that? We all like to know for sure about Jesus, even Luke's friend, Theophilus. Okay, I want to give you two examples of non-Christians who wrote about Jesus at the time of Jesus. The first one is a guy called Flavius Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He wrote about around the time of 80 AD. He mentions Jesus on two separate occasions and uh, in his books. We're just going to look at one of those. In his multi-volume work, and I mean multi-volume, this thing is huge, it's called The Antiquities of the Jews. And in book 18, book 18, that's a lot of books, chapter 3, he writes about Jesus in the following way. It's up on the screen. Let me read it to you. Now about this time, there lived a wise man called Jesus. Indeed, he was a man who performed startling feats. He was a teacher of the people, and he drew in many from among both the Jews and the Greeks. And those who were devoted to him from the start did not cease their devotion, even after Governor Pilate, on the basis of charges laid against him by our leaders, condemned him to a cross. For, it is reported, he, had, he appeared to them alive again, and the group of Christians named after him has still not disappeared to this day. Interesting, isn't it? So that's a Jewish guy. How about a Roman perspective? The Roman perspective, our second source, I guess. Lots more we could mention. Only got time for two. Cornelius Tacitus. Tacitus is regarded as ancient Rome's greatest historian. And as we'll see, he's no fan of Christians. In his Annals of um, uh, Imperial Rome, written shortly after Josephus, about 115 AD, are the basis. These are the basis of much of our of our most accurate information of uh, emperors Tiberius, Claudius, and Nero, and many other famous figures in that period. So, in recounting the persecutions against the early Christians, Tacitus records this. Again, it's going to be up on the screen about Jesus. Christians derived their name from a man called Christ, who during the reign of Emperor Tiberius had been executed by a sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. The deadly superstition thus checked for a moment broke out afresh not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but also in the city of Rome where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world meet and become popular. 
doesn't have much good things to say about Rome, does he, either? But uh, Tacitus, um, well, he doesn't really provide much new information about Jesus, but it does confirm the Roman side of things. Uh, details, I guess, we already know. It also shows that the events of Jesus' life had a significant enough impact around the Mediterranean to gain the attention of an elite Roman intellectual on the other side of the empire. So that a wandering Jewish peasant teacher, that's who Jesus was, from Palestine, rated a mention at all in uh, Tacitus's annals of imperial Rome is quite surprising. So if we gathered together all the information contained in these references uh, and other sources that we have, it's fascinating how much of the story can be uncovered without even open the, opening the Bible. So just with non-Christian sources, we know when Jesus lived, we know where he lived, we know that he was an influential teacher, we know that he engaged in activities thought to be supernatural, we know that he was executed when and by whom. We also know from non-Christian sources that he had a brother called James who was also executed. We know that people claim to have seen him raised from the dead. And we know that he was widely known by the prestigious title, The Christ. Now, friends, that is a lot of information from people who were anything but supporters of the Christian faith. Here's what we've seen today. We've seen that God has revealed himself to us in Jesus and for us in Jesus by his death on the cross. But also history has revealed Jesus. Jesus is no fairy tale. No honest historian will tell you that Jesus is just some fairy god in the sky. But what does all this tell us about Jesus? What does this tell us about God and our relationship with him? What well, tells us that God is personal. God is a relational God. Because he has come to us, he knows us, he knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to feel, he knows what it's like to feel pain, to know loss. He knows happiness, he knows us. I want to invite you to get to know Jesus. I want to invite you to get to know the real Jesus. Will you accept his offer of friendship? By doing so, you will discover a God who loves you, a God who forgives you and offers you a life where you don't need to look to a fairy, fake fairy gods for meaning. How about I pray for us and then uh, we'll, uh, you guys can continue on with the service, shall I? I pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your one and only son into this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that by knowing him, we can know you. Lord, we thank you that uh, just by your sovereign work in creation, historical record is overwhelming when it comes to Jesus, his, his life, his death, and even his resurrection. Lord, may we uh, find our friendship in you. We thank you, Lord, that you know us, that you love us and that we can relate to you. We thank you for today, in Jesus' name. Amen.